0: Have you guys seen Bird Box?
1: Welcome to The Mocking Cast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every other Friday to explore a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We're glad to have you with us.
2: Praise the Lord.
1: Happy New Year, you two! Happy New Year! How was the holidays? How was the break? Are you um, are you, st- you survived? I see. Um, Sarah, what do you got to tell? Say for yourself.
0: Uh, we had a good break, actually. It was nice. We stayed home for the most part um, and rested a lot and ate a lot. And you know, last year we had like an emergency room visit with our daughter. We did not have any emergency room visits this year, so I mean that was a vast improvement just in and of
1: itself. Mm, a low bar but you you, you passed it. first
0: year my husband's been home on christmas day um since oh, well, we were married nice. i oh, think been- yeah so we actually got to like have christmas as a family we have a retired priest who just lends a hand here and there and he just stepped in and said i'm gonna do christmas day so it
1: was really nice that's that's awesome that's a that's a that's a great yeah. gift what about what about you arch did you miss me
2: Duh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, We had a pretty intense Christmas. The whole family flew up to New York and was with my brothers um, for, I guess, four or five days. Um, And then worked that week and then did have a good week off last week. We were out of town, then came home and... um, our dishwasher was broken and our furnace was broken and my son's car wouldn't start. And so, you know, anyway, good to be back. I mean, we, we did have a nice Christmas and a nice New Year's and back in the flow here a little bit and things are settling down. It's a beautiful day today. Um, I'm happy to be back at work. Actually, I love what I do um, and good to be back with you guys. So 2019, <laughs> baby, let's do this. It's going to be... what,
1: what, what I have a feeling. I, I immediately thought that we're going to definitely title this episode uh, "New Year, Same Us." Mm-hmm. You know, same, same mm-hmm. mocking cast. Yeah. maybe it's
0: same it, it Jesus sounded, too. Good news, right? Ooh, he didn't change his agenda. Yeah.
1: I hope not. <laughs> That's the. The crucial element in all of this. Um, right. We we here, uh, we had a, We had a, we had a good Christmas. I think Christmas with three little ones is both magical and, to absolutely draining in every conceivable way. And so it's full of joy and tears. And um, by the time you get back to the office, uh, it feels like a vacation. So yeah. I'll just That's leave it true. at that. That's really uh, true. They're, they're, it, it's not woe is me. I, it's a privilege to be raising these children, but man, oh man, <laughs> were, were we happy for that school bus to drive down our block? Yes. Uh, you know, building up treasures in heaven, guys. That's, that's right. That's my M.O. in 2019. Jewels in your crown. <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah, I know that your M.O. Mm-hmm. in 2019 might be a little different. I hear mm. we're on the street, according to the Mockingbird website, is that you are going boundaryless. Yeah. Does that mean you that mean you're you're not like using you're, you're driving on the wrong side of the road that's right. All, like
0: all the rules are are thrown out the window. Um yeah, I this piece has been um on my heart for a little while because I mean, it started for me in seminary where boundary talk about having good boundaries and, you know, if someone's difficult, you just need to put up a boundary um, was a very popular way to educate seminarians, still is. And even mm. now, if you're in, like, clergy groups um, and people might talk about, like, a difficult person at their church, it's often like, well, you just need to have a firmer boundary, you know? And um, I'm re- – well, A, like, find a new word. I'm sick of that one. Um, but B, this really was, like, a more personal sort of heart thing for me that I'm kind of sick of people saying that they need more boundaries and better boundaries and um, – Because I feel like it's antithetical to the gospel. I mean, one thing RJ talks about a lot uh, that I think of often is that we're not, and I've written about this too, we're not promised safety as Christians at all. We're sort of promised the opposite. And like we so often will slip. And when I say we, I I especially mean ordained people will slip into this behavior of like sort of shutting people off. And, And often... And I write about this in the piece, but it's people who are maybe mentally ill or they're just difficult or maybe you're difficult and you don't want to deal with them. And so instead Mm -hmm. of facing any of that truth of who they are or who you are, um, we're like, well, you just need to put up a firm boundary. Um, You know, it's interesting. I saw a little bit of the reaction to it on social media my uh least favorite way people begin comments on articles just as a just just for all you listeners out there if you want to really get on my nerves is to write um is to start by saying um no and um like on anything (laughs) like when people start like they literally write um and they literally like no uh and you know I got a little bit of that I don't think they actually read the piece to be honest with Because I do acknowledge, I mean, there are certain moments in our lives that we have to think about, you know, I don't know if boundary is the right word, but we have to think about how to best love this person that's, that is in a difficult way. Um, and you know, I mean, there's a lot of sort of the old mentality of, for example, handing, handling people who are addicts, right. Was to just kind of like shut them off completely and there's less of that now in in the culture that tries to um to help people with addiction so i don't know i think it, i think it's something that i don't i i really bristle every single time i'm in a church context and someone
1: talks about boundaries every- well it sounds like what 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 i came across from the piece is that you uh, what you're saying is that it's like a euphemism for um rejection yeah almost or, or not, or just judgment. It's a but nice just really... way of
0: rejecting. I mean, it makes you, f- it makes you feel justified pastorally in rejecting someone. Cause you can be like, well, I put mm. up a boundary, you know? Um, and Self-care. I mean, I, yeah, I would love, you know, I, it would just be funny if people were honest If they're just like, well, he's an asshole and he keeps interrupting my meetings. You know what I mean? Like I would much rather hear a priest say that or pastor say that, than be like, I put up a boundary, um, mm-hmm. Plus, it sounds like you're sitting on a mountain and in charge of things, and we're clearly not. So,
1: but, what what do you think about this, R.J. I mean, as as someone uh, uh, against whom I've put up several boundaries I've, in my life? I do. <laughs>
0: say, I've literally, I work closely with R.J. I have never heard him say better boundaries ever. Just
1: kidding. I've never heard. Isn't you he say over, that. Isn't, we, we, we've established that you're an oversharer. Are you a non-boundary? <laughs> are you a boundaryless you oversharer?
2: Oh, it's hard. I would say, I would say that I probably put up more quote unquote boundaries, although I'm not going to use that word because it's um, trite and overused, as you said, um, than I used to because I feel like I tried to be boundaryless and I got killed. I got killed, you know? Um, And- this is my theory, you know, I I don't really want to be on a pedestal. I don't. But when you are in a position of quote unquote spiritual leadership, people kind of want you there. They want you on a pedestal. They want to believe and think that you're somehow better than they are or more holy or that you have something to teach them about being a better person. And when they discover that you're not actually, they'll kind of rip you to shreds. Um, and, I, and I agree with everything you said, Sarah, about Jesus and his boundaryless existence. Um, but I remember maybe five years ago or something, I was teaching a Sunday school class. And for some reason, the the, the thing that Jesus says about not casting your pearls before swine entered mm-hmm. my head. And for the first time, I understood what that meant because I felt like I'd sort of done that. Like I'd cast mm-hmm. my pearls before swine and they had turned and they trampled me. Um, and it was and it sucked. It was really, really hard. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. didn't want to be trampled yeah. anymore. And I also remember what Jesus said when he sent the disciples out two by two. You know, if you enter a place and it doesn't receive you, then shake the dust off your feet and move on. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think um, there's something to be said about that, and the fact that he sent them two by two, you know, that no person in ministry should be alone. Like I think mm-hmm. it's incredibly hard to be in ministry alone. So, on the one hand, I completely agree with you. And i that's my heart. My heart is that I would want to be boundaryless and to say to people, I'm, you know, that what do they say? Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar we, where he found bread and just mm-hmm. being like, hey, I'm a beggar just like you. I found this Jesus guy. I love him. Let's love him together. But I also feel like in my experience, um, people over whom you have spiritual authority don't actually want to know that you're a sinner. They don't want to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they need to, they need to have you a little more lifted up than that. Um, so that's, that's, that's my I remember,
1: experience. I always have thought that uh, people will like my preaching or writing a lot better if they don't actually know me as a human. And, uh, they'll, if they actually know me as a human, they'll uh, not like my preaching or writing as much just because of the transference element, you know, they'll enjoy mm-hmm. a person. Transference. But, that's mm-hmm. the thing, right? Like, tra- you can't help but sort of be the daddy. Sarah's, your piece reminded me very much of something, uh, my father's uh, words rec- resounding in my ears, because he got in kind of hot water for one of his many times when he said, Boundaries is the law. Boundaries is the law. Yeah, I'm against is. boundaries. I'm putting up a boundary yeah. against boundaries. And so <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> well, but what he was saying, he was taking <clears throat> it to its limit in, in the way that you've got such a great gift for it and saying that, like, at the end of the day, we don't, uh, um, I don't need. I, I'm not getting into a marriage because I want someone to have good boundaries with me. I, if God's in the in the practice of putting up boundaries, then what hope is there for any of us? And that boundaries is not what um, grace and boundaries are are almost antithetical. That said, you know I'm not Jesus. I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm definitely looking for a boundaryless God, knowing yeah. that I also in my own day to day have to. Uh, there's. I've also seen in myself a pathological need to serve other people. Yes, that is actually serving my own ego, and sure. my my kids sort of pay the price because I Jesus was unable complex. to say to say no, and I see that in clergy too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as always,
2: I've. Yeah, those are different things. Saying no is I, I saying do, no is not having a boundary necessarily. It's just saying no. You're allowed to say no.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think about a clergy spouse lunch thing I was at years ago in a diocese far, far away, and <laughs> um, one of the women talked about how they had a, I wasn't even sure if it was a prisoner, but somebody who was addicted to heroin, and they kept her husband offered to keep the methadone in the fridge at their house. And they had little kids at home. And I was like, that's a hard pass lady. So I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not advocating for that. But I think what I'm advocating is for is maybe, um, well, when I hear the pearls before swine thing, I just assume I'm the swine. Um, but also I'm advocating for a
1: little glimpse into your psychology. Yeah. You? I'm,
0: I'm advocating for um, when people make us uncomfortable or mad that maybe that's more about us and less about like them and how we need to react to them. And, mm. um, I think often we miss opportunities in ministry to really be with people because we're like, Oh, you make me uncomfortable. Like we can't, you know, I can't be with you. And so, yeah. um, yeah,
1: I, I think you definitely identified <laughs> just by seeing the eye, what I've seen a little bit of the reaction. You've identified something that people use, a word that people use to justify, yeah. um, basically not doing their job, not, is, or yeah. not, not, not preaching the gospel or not yes. being gracious or anything. Yeah. And we, we do that with things, you know, yeah. and, I, and I, wonder what it'll be five years from now, but that word boundary certainly has a connotation. Does yes. it, does it not? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's your hope for change this year. Mm-hmm. RJ, you, you sent us something, um, uh, and good luck with that, Sarah. As thank always, you. thank we, we you. We will be. We it's will already be going per-
0: so well. So. We'll be
1: holding you <laughs> yeah. personally accountable. Yeah. As you so well I'll be you know. over for a <laughs> hug right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: literally yesterday I said RJ because he's back from vacation I was like I really want to give you a hug but I'm not going to so it's going really well my old boundary list thing
1: Um, but RJ you sent out something about how people change you know the beginning of the new year everyone's talking about resolutions and on the cut which is over on New York Magazine Edith Zimmerman wrote something called how to change without willpower which I thought was fascinating this is uh resonated with you uh you said she she says i loved i loved alcohol it was my friend it made me happy it made things funny it was relaxing it was what i did it was what i was good at it was part of my personality i also knew it was making me slow fat and mean numb i was hemorrhaging money i had no real plans or hopes for the future i hated looking in the mirror i had stomach issues my skin was terrible every day felt the same and it felt in general like i was staring at the ground I was hiding how much I drank, spreading the truth out so no one knew all of it. No one knew me. For me, this changed the day, the morning, the hour, that I realized finally that I no longer loved alcohol. That it wasn't making me happy and ruining my life. It was just ruining my life. I don't know why it happened the day it did. It was a totally nondescript day. It didn't coincide with the new year or dry January or any of these other times when we're supposed to reimagine ourselves. I just woke up one day in May of 2016 feeling like, nope, a new thing is going to begin and I don't know what it is, but this phase is done. It was as if my heart opened like a clam to spit out one belief and await a better one. I knew what happened is that I finally actually wanted to change Wanted to believe something new, to become a non-drinker rather than trying to have it both ways. I didn't want to drink less or to drink like a quote-unquote normal person. I wanted to be done with the whole thing entirely. There was no willpower involved. When you believe a new thing, you don't need a lot of effort. It's the believing that relieves you of worrying about endless tiny decisions that eat away at sanity and attention, constantly testing your will. All right, I'm going to leave it there for you, RJ. Tell us what you what you what, what struck you so much about this article?
2: Well, first I just loved the title because I I want to change. You know, there are things about myself that I don't like and I know are harmful to me and to other people. And yet I find myself often with a marked lack of willpower or self-discipline. And so this idea of changing without willpower, um, I just love the title. And then as I read it, I, she's basically describing conversion experience, you know, and mm-hmm. and she can't explain what happened, you know, it, it's something like, the Holy Spirit coming into your life and making you a, a new creation, you know, that there was something, um, just so true about what happened here and about sort of swapping swapping one story out for another, swapping one belief out for another. You know, I thought this was an interesting take on on what we talk a lot about in the Mockingbird world and, you know, the Bible. Um, justification by faith, you know, that she's sort of, she is delivered from the power of alcohol because she, by the grace of God, comes to believe a different story about herself and about the world. Um, and I know people have had experiences like this. You know, I, I knew a Someone in college who was um, not at all interested in becoming a Christian and had a very uh, sort of, I talked about this person before, had a very specific idea about what life was about. It was about achievement. It was about degrees and self-fulfillment and career. And and um, and because of that, this uh, she sort of pushed all need for love and affection and relationship out of the picture because that was going to be detrimental to her accomplishing the goals which really mattered. Uh, and then uh, she read some Christian books and it said that actually love was the most important thing in the universe and the only thing that mattered. And that's what Jesus was about. And and it sort of, it it helped her to recognize this need and this desire that she thought she needed to sort of get rid of as something that she needed to embrace. Um, and her story completely changed and her life completely changed. Um, so I, I love that. And then I just, I, I loved also what it sort of said about sin, You know, that the reason—it reminded me of what uh, Robert Fair Capen wrote. Um, There's a Mockingbird post about this uh, from a few years back called, uh, "Capen Closes Down the Religion Shop. Mm. And he says, uh, you know, when you start preaching the gospel of free grace, people are always like, well, what's going to keep you from sinning? You know, why won't you just go out and sin? And he writes, the reason for not going out and sinning all you like is the same as the reason for not going out and putting your nose in a slicing machine. (laughs) It— It's just such a graphic image. It makes me think of a deli counter every time. Um, it's dumb, stupid, and no fun. Some <clears throat> individual sins may have pleasure still attached to them because of the residual goodness of the realities they are abusing. Adultery can indeed be pleasant, and tying one on can amuse. But betrayal, jealousy, love grown cold, and the gray dawn of the morning after are nobody's idea of a good time. And that at the end of the day, sin... Isn't fun and it kills you and it puts you to death. Um, but what you know, what what changes you is is being embraced by this truth that you are loved in spite of the fact that you're sinning. Um, and this is the last thing I'll say. Just the 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 whole approach to ethics. You know that the the vast majority of what we hear in the world is an Aristotelian approach to ethics, right? If you want to be different, you do different. You know, action action changes the heart. And that's just completely wrong. And it's the opposite of what Jesus says, the opposite of what this article says. The truth is that the heart, if you want to change the action, you got to change the heart. That's how things actually work. And that's what happened to this woman. Somehow, miraculously, her heart changed. And so then her action changed. Um, and, she rec- and she even says, she's like, I, I've lost all faith in willpower. Like willpower doesn't get anything done, except maybe in very brief emergency situations. And I just think she's exactly 100% Right. Um, and so in my own life, uh, and probably the life of hopefully some of our listeners, you know, I find this, this whole changing your mind narrative change to, to come into effect when I get myself in a rut and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? Um, I, I gotta make a change. I gotta hurry up. I gotta figure this stuff out and I get all worked up. And then I remember, no, no, no. There's a God in heaven who loves you, who knows exactly what he's doing. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, and when you're supposed to be somewhere different or be doing something different, you will because he's in charge and not you. And then I find peace and hope and joy enter my life as opposed to anxiety and reactivity and all the sorts of emotions that make me want to behave badly. Um, so I just thought there was a lot of a lot of truth in this article, and uh, I, I just I loved it. I loved it.
1: Sarah, you want to chime in?
0: Um... Oh, gosh. I'm not sure I can say. I mean, what RJ said is is so spot on with this. I mean, I, I love that idea that this gives people <clears throat> that she was given an entirely different way of seeing the world like basically overnight and that that really is. I mean, for me, um That's how I remember feeling when I found Mockingbird, Mm. um, was like once, you know, and I'd had some theological education at that point, but, um, the way she sort of talks about quitting drinking and how there was this, like, you know, uh, like the, all the little laws, right? Like, is that, is what if it's a special occasion and does this count as drinking and all these sort of things that if you're using willpower, um, are constantly haunt you, um, Christianity can feel that way when you're working under the law of having to prove yourself to God every day. Christianity feels that way. What music can I
2: listen to? What TV shows can I watch? Oh my! Can I say that word? (laughs)
0: Exactly. What if I don't
2: have my quiet time?
0: Only I was in the liberal version of that, which was like, what protest do I need to be in? What book do I need to be angry about? You know what I mean? Like, where's my safe space? Like that was like that was. (laughs) What was like made me so angry. I mean, I can remember coming back from seminary, like just, you know, on a regular Wednesday and my husband picked me up at the train and I couldn't breathe. I mean, I would, and I had been, it took me an hour and a half to get home and I still couldn't breathe because the, all of the sort of manic energy around this is the perfect way to be Christian Um, also, also here are all the boundaries you need to put up. You know what I mean? Like this, like this is the way it's going to work. And then like going to Mockingbird for the first time and, and reading stuff on the site, I was like, Oh my God. Like, oh my like literally oh my god like this is not resting on me anymore like this is not mine to carry like i don't Mm. i i I, I, these aren't actually even the questions that need to be answered um there aren't actually any questions to answer it is just that i get to live in this reality i mean you know we're we're doing our um we we have signs that face the street at my husband's church. And we've been trying to figure out what the hell to put on them, especially uh, like our Easter signs. Cause our Easter signs, we like to leave up through the summer. And so we wanted to say something good. And I finally just called Jacob Smith at Calvary St. George's and was like, Hey man, can we use enjoy your forgiveness? Because that's like the greatest sign ever. And Jake was like, so sweet and totally said, yes, take it. But that's that's what this feels like right when you've had the whole context change you're like oh i'm just going to like she's like i'm just going to enjoy not drinking you know what i mean mm. and it's like i'm just going to enjoy my forgiveness mm. and and You know, the world and the church will tell you, um, you've got to control that. We've got to control it from the pulpit. We've got to tell you what to do and how to do it. And like the moment you hear that BS, you just need to like find a new place because that's not what it's about. It's about enjoying what you've been given this great gift.
1: I love at the end, um, she says for me it felt like a brief for a brief moment on a random thursday my real self peeked out from behind between the clouds asking for something else we're going to die it was saying give us something better to believe and i think that that's you know frankly like the the quote unquote narrative of of that most of the world that kind of lives on which is this do more try harder you know you get in you get out what you put in kind of thing it it's so um immediately attractive because of the control it offers a person, but it also kills you it also it really does consume you mm-hmm. and uh give me something better to believe I mean that's what this i mean i I've, I can't help but read it in, in light of my book, and that's what it really is is all about that mm. we, these things, these belief systems that we don't even call belief systems, that's how successful they are. they've created situations where we're they're killing us, and it's like, what give me something better to believe, something that nots not a better way to act. Uh, but something that's not going to not going to uh um destroy me basically. And by the way, Sarah, I thought um I guess my my suggestion got shot down w- w- was like uh for your for the Holy Spirit signs was cradle episcopalian question mark keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Perfect. Home of that the one Church lady. That will haunt
0: me forever. <laughs> Sorry. Forever. I well, you know what? I just wanted to like I mean, I you guys can edit this stuff out because I know we're going on about this piece, but it is I honestly RJ, when I first read it, I was like, okay. And then like I heard you talk about it, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm seeing what he's seeing. Like, we should really be advocating for like sick like sick day Christianity. Do you know what I mean? Like we should all be advocating for the kind of Christianity you can do when you've like got the flu and like you're in
1: bed. Sick
2: f- day Christianity. Yeah. That's your new, that's your next. <laughs> or podcast. when you're like, yes. you know, hanging yeah. on a cross for like yeah. sins you've actually committed <laughs> and you're about to die, you know,
0: I just. or I'm you've like, just
2: committed murder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: talk, let's okay. We're going to go from uh, this conversation into a different one. Um, <laughs> The uh, talk about atonement and talking about apology, uh, Sarah, I don't think we could have found a better thing to open the new year on a note of profoundest hope than uh, this uh, interview that you sent us with Christianity Today had with Linda Barkman. Linda Barkman is a woman, now Dr. Barkman, I guess. Mm -hmm. She is a woman who was incarcerated for 30 years uh, because she was found uh, guilty for aiding and abetting her boyfriend who killed... Her two year old daughter. Unspeakable. It's unspeakable. She was found guilty of a felony of child endangerment, basically just for living with the man. And uh, when the California Supreme Court set the verdict aside and she was retired, the prosecution successfully argued for implied malice, mm-hmm. meaning she should have known what the boyfriend could do to her toddler. And she was in prison for 30 years and she served that time. Anyway, today she has her PhD in intercultural studies. And her dissertation explores the gap in communication between women in prison and the volunteers who minister to them. Uh, Christiana Day is asking her her story. She says, I grew up unchurched. I came to Christ when my oldest daughter was a babe in arms, but it didn't work very well. I was going to a church where when they found that, that I was living with a man I wasn't married to, I was told by the associate pastor's wife that she could no longer teach uh, Bible study in my home because she couldn't enter the home of a sinner. That, that pushed me away. Uh, I was already pregnant with my second child at that point. I ended up leaving him because he was an abusive alcoholic and drug abuser, but I found somebody worse than him. One day, I asked God to do whatever he needed to do to make things right in my life because I just knew how wrong everything was and how miserable I was. At the end of that day, the man I was living with beat my two-year-old daughter to death. I wanted to die, and God said, No. You're not allowed to die. I was so angry at God. I remember screaming out to Him, "You can set. You say you can make me a new creation out of me, uh, so you have to turn me into somebody I can live with." I don't know what part is good, what part is not. All I know is everybody who has ever loved me or been loved by me is now hurt, and I just don't know what to do. After that, God started showing me that He could use me if I'd stop fighting. It took a long time. I began to see Jesus and his love and mercy in the day-to-day things. Not long after I got to prison, I started helping with church services in the psychiatric unit. For 28 of the 30 years I was incarcerated, I was the lay pastor for that prison unit. Prison is a pretty good seminary in a lot of ways. One of the women I interviewed for my dissertation told me, I had a 27-year retreat. People don't understand it, but you do. Jesus was with me every single day of those 27 years. She finishes, she says, when I got to prison, I was labeled a baby killer. I bought the jury's decision, saying that I was Amy's mother and I did not protect her. How was I not guilty? The first person who ever told me I was a battered woman was a woman in a death penalty case who, after 17 years, was totally exonerated. But I didn't believe her. I still wrestle with it. When I was introduced at the Fuller Seminary graduation, where she spoke, as somebody who unjustly spent 30 years in prison, I didn't know how to cope. I struggle. I'm in therapy. I have post-traumatic stress disorder from prison issues. I don't know if I can believe in redemption for myself. But David was a murderer, and Saul consented to Stephen stoning, and Joseph spent a lot of time in prison. God has a special place for prisoners and can use us because of our brokenness. The interviewer then asks her, how do you pray for the people that you minister to in prison? And She closes by saying, we know that knowing Christ in prison— Makes us freer than many people walking the streets who don't know Jesus, so I pray for the strength to know that. Every moment that he allows me to minister in prison is an opportunity to love uh, those that he loves. I mean, I don't know how a person like that is standing, let alone um, speaking and 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 preaching. she is uh, this she goes on, she talks about her new ministry and her her the new husband that she met, who's a Mennonite. Um, and, uh, this restoration, um, prison as seminary, um, redemption for someone the very day God answered her prayer in the worst possible way, or maybe God wasn't God answering her prayer. Maybe that she, cause she talks about, it was the devil who possessed that man. And she talks about having to maybe seeing him, if, if, if he's redeemed that she believes he can be the man who murdered her child that uh, maybe that he won't be the one that the devil had a hold of that day. I, I don't really know what to make of it, or maybe we don't need to put an interpretive gloss on it. I just to say that it is incredibly uh, what a, what a gift this woman is, but um, I'd like to hear actually more from you guys about it.
0: Um, Erin <clears throat> Jean Ward sent me this piece. She's written a piece for us recently. So she is who brought it to my attention. I, love this piece for so many reasons. Uh, Her honest take about redemption and forgiveness reminded me a bit of the piece that we talked about that David Peters wrote, um, about, um, accidentally murdering someone, uh, with his car. Um, this kind of resonated in a similar way to me of like struggling with, uh, struggling with redemption, struggling with what it means to be forgiven. The other thing I can't I can't not say this, and it's a. a <laughs> we, at Mockingbird, we get a little defensive when we talk too badly about men. So I, but I, but I I need to say this as someone I've worked in prison ministry a lot. I did that a lot in New York. I worked at a prison up there that actually allowed women to have their children with them in prison, and um, was incredibly powerful. I have <clears throat> not met a woman in prison that is there because she did something on her own. I've only met women in prison who are there because they were in a bad relationship. They had a bad dad. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I mean, people don't like us to talk about gender that way. And we get a little anxious at Mockingbird if we talk about sin that way, because I'm not saying that women are sinless. But her story was very powerful to me and because I think that that. I actually think we don't say that out loud at all, which is really weird. You'll hear it in little pockets of people who work in women's prisons, but no one wants, because the ramifications for that are so huge uh, in so many ways. When you talk about uh, genders, predilection towards violence, for example, um, and, you know, (laughs) women being the gentler sex. I mean, but it is, her story is very, very true to a lot of stories um, in women's prisons. And I, I, Kind of just personally feel like I need to hold that up. I don't know if that's useful at all, um, but it's important to no, me. I just
1: I just watched that Showtime series uh, "Escape from Danamora," which is about prison, mm-hmm. and the, there's a, there's a the men's prison versus the female prison is like um, I don't even know. You can't even describe the difference. It's so different. Um, it's
0: like not even the same institution. Although it on does some an level. incredible
1: job of showing the inhumanity that men show and the inhumanity that women show in different. Yeah. Yeah, Please. I think
0: we all watched, um, I stopped watching at some point because it just became too salacious, but we all watched Orange is the New Black. And when we talk about women's prisons, we often have this like <laughs> fun vision of it or something. And it's um, it's just an incredibly brutal existence. I, I was it was so nice to see that they, you know, she talked about how they worship several times a day. I mean, it's very almost monastic, several times a day, every day. So powerful, um, but it's still prison.
2: I don't know what to say. Uh, her ability to serve and love uh, when she's just been emptied of everything, you know, and and the woman she talks about that uh, the women that she partnered with in ministry and the the lack of ego and just the the love and the desire to just serve and love other people and not have it be at all about them and about their own personal fulfillment or something. Um, you know, here's someone who's been crucified, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and because of that, there's sort of a, a freedom and a, a, a genuineness. Um, and it does, it, it reminds me, I don't know, at some point early in my ministry life, I realized that all of my real heroes in ministry had had really, really dark times. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I sort of wanted that. And at the other hand, I was like, please, God, don't do that to me, <laughs> you know? Um, but there is some sort of connection between going through dark times and a freedom on the other side, freedom from ego, a freedom from self, you know, a death to self, i um, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, you know, Galatians 2.20, um, that's just true but it's off it's it's another one of those like awful awful wonderful hopeful terrible truths mm. um but just to see to see uh to see it in her um yeah,
1: she sounds amazing i mean i i just like was you know, yeah, you think that look at the clear of the ministry that is um that has been birthed out of this absolutely um you know uh, there's no words to put to the, to, to the no. experience she had. There's just no, no words. words, but something like that that that, that <clears throat> seems to have ushered forth something um, that's not just purely revenge or uh, hatred or self loathing or just more death. Is is kind of uh, um, I just want to let's just hold that up. That's um, in, right. in sort of insane that we live in a world where that's even possible, where where where, where God could work in that way. So it's um, Linda Barkman. Thank you. I hope uh, I. And now she's a, she's Dr. Parkman and she and her husband both. And there, she sounds like she's really in love with this man. And she's, oh, I mean,
0: it's so, I, if you're a you know. clergy spouse, like it's just worth reading the end of this. Cause when yes. he, with the way she says, uh, she's like, I met him in a seminary classroom. He's a Mennonite, a pacifist. He's just a marvel. He once an answered a pastor's question. What do you really want to be in life? With the answer, a pastor's husband, he says his ministry is to drive the car. That means he drives the car in Tijuana traffic and takes me where I need to go and puts me back together. I mean, this is like, I I got it. We we run into so many sort of things and it's well-meaning where they want to bring in a clergy spouse to talk to seminarians and they always pick the angry ones and i don't know why they always pick the ones who are like this is the worst you're going to hate it it's not fun you can't boundaries. yeah boundaries boundaries <laughs> and i'm like call a guy that likes to drive the car to Tijuana. like why like you know what i mean like it's like if you're and i'm not saying everybody's married to a pastor is called into that by all means and you're not required to and all those caveats that make people feel better in these modern times but if you are called into it it's like this is a, this is a picture of joy right and and it's such a beautiful marriage
1: Amen to that. Well, why don't we just end there? I, I'll, we'll, Ethan will put it in the weekender tomorrow, and um, we can sort of just uh, you know, reread and reread, and then I've got to find some videos of this lady. Uh, she sounds like 30 yeah. years. I mean, 30 years. And by the way, w- watching Escape from Dannemora was not an uh, endorsement of, of other people watching it. I'm deeply disturbed. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll talk in a couple weeks. Any, any, any parting shots, guys?
2: Mm. Happy New Year.
1: Happy, Happy New Year. T- Happy New Year, one and all. Down
2: with the Cowboys and Patriots. Happy New Year. <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop my recording.
0: I hate hockey.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.mbird.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info at mbird.com audio production for the Mockingcast is provided by the Narrativo group and if you like what you've heard, please do drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Until next time. Praise the Lord